G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. On this Thursday, we do like to check in with Family Voice Australia. Andrew McColl is State Director for Family Voice in the state of Queensland. Andrew, a special welcome along to 2020. Thanks, Neil. It's nice being with you again. Hey, Andrew, we're going to talk families, but let's just start our conversation today. A thought or two, last week we had the announcement of the Australian Mother of the Year, uh, it was Kira Lee Smith. Uh, how have things been uh, so far as that announcement goes? What can you reflect on over this past week? Well, it was a joy to present that award to Kira Lee Smith, and uh, she's involved in some conflict where she lives. She's taking a strong view about men being men and women being women, and neither the twain shall meet. Uh, and so because of that, she's catching a bit of flack. And she's even got some court cases, at least one, I think, coming her way. But it's always great to congratulate people, and in this case, a lady who's been doing some great things with her family. Uh, She was um, taken aback, was thrilled, was astonished, was in some ways overwhelmed by it because, um, you know, she's, she's been doing these things that she loves anyway, but she's also found herself sort of getting dragged into some conflicts simply because she's been standing up for the biblical family. But we were glad to give that award. We got some some interest from media about it subsequently, so that was good to be part of, and so we were delighted for that. And there was another significant announcement of the grandmother of the year, and uh, given the Kira Lee Smith announcement, it didn't glean as much attention uh, at the time, but the Australian Grandmother of the Year. Let us in on some details here, Andrew. Yeah, well, on that day that that we presented the award to Curly, we also presented it uh, to a a lady who lives up near Caboolture. Her name is Lexia Macken. And, of course, she's a grandmother. So she's involved with with children and grandchildren and others and teaching girls, teaching teenagers about biblical principles and she takes her role as a mother and grandmother very seriously. She's uh, keen on building up her house, as the scripture encourages us to do. So we'll be talking to her some more soon, I believe. Uh, she's also the author of a book, too, Helping Young Mothers from Disadvantaged Backgrounds. And uh, we might say a special congratulations to Lexia Macken of Karbala near Toowoomba. And uh, we're going to have an extended opportunity to talk to Lexia uh, in the coming times. So we're going to make a plan. Hey, uh, let's move into some of the issues we want to talk about today around <coughs> family because it is National Families Week as well. And I guess when we talk about the family, some people think that's an old-fashioned terminology. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, what do you think about, Andrew, when you think about the value of the family unit? Well, the family unit goes back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And so in that context, we had Adam and Eve, and they got together 
and they were married. And institution, it's it's got to be flexible. It's got to be able to cope with pressures. Um, but I came across a quote from Gary North some time ago, which says that it is the family unit which is central for the construction or reconstruction of culture. The day-to-day instruction in righteousness which all child rearing involves is the very heart of a civilization. It's the law order imparted by parents to children which will determine the success or failure of a society. So lasting godly change for every community or nation has to begin with the grassroots through top-down government imposition We know now that the Soviet Union was a violent and revolutionary imposition, but it collapsed after 70 years, and what a mess there remained. But Paul believed in something entirely different. He believed in admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we might present every man complete in Christ. So rather than try and impose things from the top down by law only, by government only, We said, now, wait a minute, what about we take it one person at a time? So we take the gospel, take the scriptures and apply them to the individual and apply them to the family and so on. So top down, uh, trickle down from the government, not a good way of looking at how a family unit flourishes. So we're talking grassroots here. And grassroots coming down to the way people will glean wisdom for a family. And we will say, as Christians, uh, starting off with God's plan for family. But let's bring it into the context of what we might be thinking about the functions of family. And uh, perhaps around things like education. Uh, We've had some conversations about education before. And uh, schooling is an issue uh, for parents. Uh, This is one of those intersections, isn't it? Where the government has this sort of top-down uh, we'll take responsibility for your family, something that we need to somehow rather reassess and wrestle back into our own uh, way of uh, having, having authority over our own children. What are your thoughts here, uh, particularly around education, schooling? We're just thinking about public schooling in the context that we have it in most Western nations, and that includes the US and, and Australia, of course. And John Taylor Gatto was a, was a teacher in New York for many years. He was a very good teacher in public schools. And he made this statement well after he retired from that line of work. He said, government schooling is the most radical adventure in history. It kills the family by monopolising the best times of childhood and by teaching disrespect for home and for parents. So that's what happens. And so this is why it's important that Christians begin to understand that parents are responsible for their children and in this context for their education. And while ever they delegate that, while ever the children walk out of the house uh, for six or seven hours in a day, they're putting it in the hands of other people. Now that can be fine, but they have to realise that they have to, if they're going to do that, they're delegating with trust and with hope and responsibility so that when Johnny and Susie walk out of the house and go down the road, wherever that might be, those children are going to be in the hands of trustworthy people who will be communicating a good 
and a godly worldview to those children. If they're not communicating a godly worldview, those children are in the wrong place. No doubt it's different for every family, but there's got to be some principal foundations here in place because if you're concerned about the state controlling your children, somehow or other you've got to be able to make room for a biblical substitute for that so that you actually have some godly influence in your family. How do you think that works, Andrew? Well, there's another quote that I came across also from Gary North that says that education is the moral responsibility of parents. They are the ones who must determine whether or not their children are being taught the truth. They are responsible before God for the rearing of their children. They are held responsible even for the content of their children's education. This is why it is a great responsibility to bring children into the world, end of quote. So what should Christians hope for from their government? Well, ideally, not much. Much liberty and less tax. Parental godly responsibility means we provide a biblical substitute for every socialist position. And by socialist, I include in that public education. And why? Because a wrong and foolish plan can't be replaced with nothing. God's plan is that his people lead the way. It's not easy, is it, uh, to get down into the nitty-gritty and suggest how that looks in each individual family. But uh, talking the principle, so important here that somehow or other you've got to draw a line and say whose responsibility is Uh, are our children, uh, is it the state or is it the parents? And as you say, a moral responsibility on parents, that's like a biblical foundation. Hey, what about extending this thought uh, into uh, health care? I mean, sometimes we put our own health and safety, uh, uh, life and death into the hands of the government. Uh, How does this work when you're taking this responsibility as a family? Well, that gets tricky as well, Neil, because when we delegate things, we find that things, as we know, don't always go quite according to plan. And if we consider the scriptures on the matter, is it any coincidence that from the Pharaoh of Exodus through to Herod in Jesus' time to our atheistic rulers in Australia, who, by the way, are happy to abort 80,000 babies annually, they have something in common they all seem to have it in for innocent children. That's what atheism does. And that's a severe matter for us to consider. And their attitude, really, unfortunately today, is just the same as Pharaoh back in Exodus chapter 5 when he said to Moses, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? The Bible predicts what people will do when they ignore God. The Bible says that all those who hate me love death. That's Proverbs chapter 8, verse 36. So you've got this thought that uh, the health and safety of your family, somehow or other, you've got to arrest back responsibility for that uh, within your own family rather than just hand that over to the government because... As uh, you're indicating here, uh, you know, all those who hate me love death. 
uh, we can see that uh, demonstrated in abortion and in euthanasia and the way that life is held so cheaply uh, when it's in the hands of the state. My suspicion is here, before we move any further, that when you have the Christian biblical foundation, life becomes very important. When it's in the hands of the state, it becomes less important. Any thoughts here, uh, just before we move on, over the value of what it is to have that Christian faith, faith in God, to what it means to how you treat the value of your own family? Well, it makes a huge difference because it means we, we have absolutes to work from. We have Ten Commandments that tell us what to do and tell us that that life is precious and life is important to God. We're all made in God's image. So we have to be very careful before we do anything which is likely to place in jeopardy the life of an innocent person. And what we what we know also from research, and this was done by Charles Murray in his book, Coming Apart, and this is going back to 2012, he wrote that countless studies have shown that children raised in a two-parent traditional family are less likely to be raised in poverty, less likely to do drugs, less likely to be criminals later in life, and more likely to graduate from and do well in school. The evidence is overwhelming. No culture can remain healthy with, with illegitimacy rates like those in the US. It's impossible to overstate the socially catastrophic consequences of illegitimacy. The traditional family is still the best department of health, education and welfare ever invented. I imagine that anyone who might be hearing this sort of conversation for the first time might be thinking, wow, this sounds so different to what families look like in Australia today. Have we moved so far away from a biblical-style model of what those principles are in families uh, that somehow or other, uh, you know, even our, our, our understanding of family is, is, has been uh, displaced or misled? Well, we have, and to a large degree now, we've been rather mesmerised by grand buildings up at the school with all the latest, greatest, with teachers who are so-called qualified and and all of the promises that are made to us about it's going to get better because our children are, are getting better exposure to other children in the playground. They're getting all this latest, greatest tech stuff going. Um, and that can be mesmerising and alluring, and, and people can easily think, "Oh, gee, that sounds pretty good." I mean, hey, my house is nothing flash, and oh boy, that may be true. But in your Christian home and in your Christian family, you're raising children who, if you're serious about godly values, they will learn those from you. As soon as that child walks out of the house somewhere else, and particularly, I'm afraid to say, in the public system, a child in the public system for 12 years will spend about 14,400 hours out of your home with other people. That is significant. Sometimes, as Christian believers, we say the answer to all of this is revival. And as though in some ways uh, that bolt of lightning that comes out of the blue, it's from God and uh, we're revived. But my, uh, my perhaps uh, you know, more experience 
or maturity in that says revival actually results in reform. If you're going to reform a nation, it does start with individuals, but those individuals are part of families, and anything sustainable goes from generation to generation. We just cannot ignore this. It just comes back to how we do family, doesn't it? Well, it does, and most of us, Neil, like the idea of revival. It sounds fantastic. We all love the idea, but we have to begin as we start, as you said right back in the beginning of a conversation, we have to begin with changes for individuals and families. And Christian parents do have great responsibilities, along with great opportunities to live out their faith. They should be able to do this with joy and confidence, never intimidated by the criticisms of foolish people who don't or won't understand their decisions. So when we ask ourselves, do we really want true Christian reform in our nation? John the Baptist made a comment, which I think is relevant, when he said in John 3:27, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. And what that means in practice is that nothing will change for the better without the living walking, talking examples of thousands of believers in the nation living out their faith in their family and church. As I heard Bill Muhlenberg say recently, only a totally transformed life coupled with a fearless proclamation of the truth can make an impact on a post-Christian culture. Well, we are certainly noticing there is dramatic and radical change happening in our society, and uh, most of that revolves around the state. Uh, it really is an eye-opener. It's a, uh, it's a warning, isn't it, uh, to be able to talk about what it is that makes up a godly family. And uh, the encouragement there for listeners is to find resources about godly families. And there are no doubt lots of resources you can call on. It might be a good place to start visiting the Family Voice Australia website. And uh, some of this sounds a little bit radical even, but a return to a biblical thinking about families shouldn't be radical for the Christian believer at all. So let me point, listeners, familyvoice.org.au, familyvoice.org.au. That's the website of Family Voice Australia. Andrew McColl is Family Voice State Director for the State of Queensland. Andrew, thanks so much for another great update today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. It's been great being with you again. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.